Hello, and welcome to Tammy Ginders. And on this week's programme, we go for a walk in search of the little people. And we also hear about a walk we're going to do at the weekend, H. We did. And I'll also tell you how I got on with your challenge. And I did try. Honestly, I really did try. Honestly. All that to come in the next 25 minutes or so. So let's uh, start off on our walk then. This was one that's been on our radar for a little while. We've both been there, not together. Let's uh, hear where we've been this week. Ah, the sound of summer. Well, not quite. It is a little overcast today, Howard, but we're doing a walk that we've been threatening to do for a little while. I know we've had a good little spell of weather of late, and today, of course... When we want to go out, it's um, it's been raining, and it has stopped raining now. It's still not warm, is it? It's not. Early May, I would not expect to still be in my winter coat, but hey-ho, there we are. So this is a place that I have been to several times before, actually. I come here quite a lot with the youngest child. It's a favourite spot of hers, and we are just in the Kueg area. And until a few years ago, I didn't even know this place existed but you may know it as the old fairy bridge or the real fairy bridge it's the real one h that's what people say and you know what i have been down to it before uh, a long time ago i honestly can't remember i'm talking years and years and years ago um, and in fact as i'm walking down now looking the last time i remember coming down here on the lane by the side of the farm would be for something in the man in the wild i can't remember what we were looking at then and we sort of you know went past the fairy bridge en passant as they say There is something about folklore and fairies, the little people that we really do love over here. And we're hoping maybe to catch a glimpse of them today. Well, we've walked only really, what, three, four minutes and already you can hear the difference in the air. We can still hear the traffic in the distance, but this is an altogether much more rural setting as we walk down this really well-established path, uh, fairly easy to walk along, probably not terribly disabled-friendly, I'd say. But, um, yeah, this is a quite calm spot already, isn't it? It is. Nice nice little track. Uh, to be fair, I forgot my boots today. And I thought, oh, Lord, but it's not been... I shouldn't say this, it's going to get muddy around the corner now, isn't it? It's not been too bad thus far, so, you know, a stout pair of shoes or something. Not your best trainers, maybe, but other than that, you'd maybe get away with it. Or maybe shiny docks, they'd probably work. They're uh, all right, aren't they? Yeah, they would, they'd work one way or another. Can you remember, which I can't, where it comes out? Well, I have carried along on this path, and we ended up on another footpath, which took us towards, I want to say the Radnor Boiling footpath, maybe? Sort of Port Sodricky way? Someone has told me, and I should know where this comes out, and I'm thinking sort of back into Port Sodrick or something, but I, I could be absolutely miles off. And if I'm honest, I don't know whether I've actually walked it from end to end or not. I don't think I have. We've walked a little bit further along the path and gone through um, a field, which I think you can you can go through as a, as a right-of-way, and then taken a, a footpath which was just glorious and again you know I know we say it every time so I'm not going to wax lyrical about it but the fact that there are still so many undiscovered places for me on the Isle of Man is an absolute joy and in a time when 
the general appearance of the Isle of Man is coming under some scrutiny. Oh, listen to that. Blackbird. Going to sing for us again. Honestly, if you could market what the island has to offer in terms of footpaths, and I have to say some of them are incredibly well maintained, then we'd absolutely be on to a winner because I think a lot of what we have over here, as we know, can rival anything that you might see in the Lake District. And, and very often you can walk these paths as we are now and there's not another soul in sight. Yeah, that's a real common one. And we often say that we go down uh, and quite often over being out at Cronky, uh, Cronky Central. So we'll go down onto the West Coast quite often for a walk, particularly in the summer of an evening, go down to one of the beaches up there. Uh, whether it's um, sort of round by Balaf or whether it's, you know, Balaf Cronk or Kirk Michael, whatever. And you're right, you go there sometimes and you'll have the whole place to yourself. And that is, I think, something special. And you're right, I think there's a, you know, we should celebrate the good stuff on, on the island. But it is true that sometimes you just think, and I, and I always think it's what the Isle of Man does best, some of these lovely remote areas, some of the beautiful stretches of coastline, some of these wonderful tracks and footpaths. And there's a mix, to be fair, isn't it? There are some which are, you think, oh, that's good, and you see some great work has been done. And then others which clearly are in desperate need of some work. And, you know, you know what the story is going to be. It's going to come down to manpower and lack of resources and lack of people to do it and lack of time and all the other things. And, and nor do I have any magic uh, wand I can wave, but you just think perhaps giving it some more thought and uh, more ideas, perhaps like sort of beach buddies or public-private partnership type things, you know, linking up with sort of some government and getting other people to help out. Don't know. I don't know. But you'd have thought sometimes there's more you, you could do in places. But Maybe. here is actually, yeah. isn't it? It is glorious down here. So we're walking down a little bit of a hill. I don't think we're too far away now. Um, in fact, as we come down here, we can see Mr and Mrs Duck in front of us. A bird taking a little... Oh, no, that's a rock. I thought it was a bird. I thought it was a bird drinking from the... It's a rock. It's okay. Um, So this is a little bit of a a river here. There is a a bridge that you can walk over, and if you carry on up that path, then more wonders await you, no doubt, and maybe that's one to do another day. But we have reached our spot. So once you get to the concrete bridge, which has got the silver railings crossing over the little bit of river here... Really good. They look lovely. Then you take a right just before the bridge so don't cross it and there's a hidden little path let's just watch yourself here i love this steps made organically out of tree roots it looks yeah so here we are oh wish we had smell-o-vision wild garlic is that what that is there that's all wild garlic down here yeah Oh, is it smell-o-vision or smell-o-radio? Oh, yeah. Mm. I didn't think about that at the time. It would have been smelly radio. That sounds terrible. Let's not go down that path. <laughs> but the path we did go down, we shall revisit a little bit later in the programme. You are listening to Tamagindis here on Manx Radio with Howard and Beth. You are indeed. Now then, now then, you did set a challenge uh, sort of last week, or a challenge of sorts. So in the past, I've done these weird and wonderful sort of scientific things. And you said, right, I've got a different idea. I'm going to come up with sort of, uh, something to we could try out or challenge ourselves with. Uh, what was it? I challenged you to have a cold shower. 
Okay. Because apparently it's good for you um, for all sorts of reasons. It apparently makes you feel a little bit more invigorated, improves your mental health. You don't have to go straight into the cold water. You can acclimatise yourself. I have been doing it as well. Um, we didn't record our own efforts, should say, but... I'm still really struggling to get to the point where I can stand under freezing cold water. I can certainly do chilly yeah. and I've, I've actually quite enjoyed that. Maybe that's a strong term, but, you know, has it made me feel wildly more energetic? Maybe I have to do it for a bit longer. I don't know. Well, how did you go? I, I would say that's very similar. That's very akin to my experience. I'm not particularly good with uh, sort of cold water. If I get into cold water, I have done New Year's Day dips in the past, long before it became really trendy, and I would struggle to get in. Once I was in, I'd be good for 15, 20 minutes yeah. once I was in, before I started getting cold. But it took me a long time to acclimatise, where a lot of people seem to just run in and get in very quickly. Unless I can jump in, I, I find that very difficult. The showers are very similar to you, so I've been, I have been trying. I haven't had the, uh, I was going to say I haven't had the balls, but I better not say that. Um, <laughs> I, I've been clocking down the temperature, as it were, towards the end. And it helps, or not in the case, my shower at home. If you turn it down from, say, number five to number three, it suddenly gives you a quick blast of really cold water and then it sort of goes to that cooler temperature. So you get a taste of it. I've got it down to number two for about, uh, I reckon, about 10 seconds, 10, 15 seconds. Okay. That's about as good as it got. And then I thought, no, put the heat back on again. I did get that sort of tingly thing. I sort of half get it. I do see that it's sort of, whoa, it sort of shocks you into the system. It shocks the system into sort of feeling alive and your skin tingling and such like. So I do sort of half get it. And maybe if I stuck at it longer, I could do a little bit uh, longer with it with a cold shower. I might even stick with it for a little bit and see do it. how I get on. Yeah. yeah. But for me, it's probably, unless you could, I could just sort of jump into a cold bath or whatever, I could possibly oh, do no. that if I was under pressure. I, oh, no. I wouldn't even, do it on my own, but there's loads of people doing yeah. it, I suppose. All right. I'd oh, do all right. Yeah. Sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know OK, I mean? well, it's, in, it's interesting. It's interesting. And um, maybe one to keep, maybe one of those little things that you can do that might improve your yeah. health. And I do like the old wild paddling. So we'll go paddling in December and January. And even that, when the water's really cold, is enough to yeah. shock the system yeah. into, into life. Maybe that's enough then. Mm. OK, um, I'm going to challenge us to something else now. And this is looking... Oh, no, that would be easy enough, wouldn't it? This is looking ahead to next week's programme. Um, we've been to meet someone. Have a listen to this. OK. This is a little bit of a, a different way of doing things. So there is a walk that I'd like us to go on mm -hmm. that I'm hoping that we're going to be able to fit in before the end of this series. And in your hand... You are holding a book about it. Read the title for me. It is From Trovai to Tranquility, A Social History of Glen Du in Bluff. And it's written by... Sarah L. Christian. And guess who we've got sitting next to us? Sarah Christian. <laughs> Hello, Sarah. How Hi. are you? Tell me about this book. How did this come about? I'm a founder member of Bluff Heritage Trust, and uh, we don't have any big posh castles or big wheels in our parish, but we do have this amazing hidden valley that not many people know about, so... Um, we, I decided that um, to write a little book to raise some money for the trust. It is full of information. I can't imagine how long this must have taken you to put together. It did take a very long time. What is the most significant thing that you found out about? Who were these people? That question really was what prompted the book. It's because I couldn't believe that there was all of these abandoned houses in such a beautiful place. And I wanted to know who the people were. And basically, they're shimmins and killips. How easy was it to find the information for this? It was quite difficult, really. There was a lot of boys. There's a lot of people who have the same name. Um, there's a lot of people 
the same name around about the same age so it was a bit of a puzzle at times but easy things are not always worth doing so I like a challenge. And how much were you actually able to find out about what they did in their everyday life? There are some documentary sources, of course, and we know that they were farmers and we were able to look at the census to work out who lived with who and what they did for a living, that kind of thing. Lucky to find the odd photograph and some bits and bobs in the newspaper, but actually this book's quite old now. It was researched quite a long time ago and um, it really does need a bit of an update because we have so much more um, available online now than we did at the time. Like, for example, articles in the newspapers used to have to use a card index and the microfilm readers to look at the old newspapers, where now they're all available for free online. Have you just volunteered yourself for the update? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when I run out of jobs to do, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it an update. I think also I've learned an awful lot more about research methods since I've initially did it so it's not a perfect thing and maybe when I retire I'll give it a, a second edition. How important do you think recording this sort of social history is because there's so many of these little stories that might never be told sometimes I think. The Glen Dew is certainly a place that, that fires the imagination and you'll find that out when you go up there Howard because you cast your mind back to a different age when life was difficult and things weren't easily to hand there's no electricity there was you know harsh living conditions, long way to walk to school in the morning, these sort of things that we sort of take for granted now. And Glen Dude certainly does put your imagination into overdrive, really, and, and does make you realise how lucky we are in the modern world. At some stage, someone closed the front door, left the building, and no one ever went back. You think, what happened? It's explored a little bit in the booklet, and um, Andy Johnson the Inspector of Ancient Monuments has uh, wrote a dissertation and in it ha he has a fantastic expression and he talks about land in the Manx uplands as being the very edge of agricultural practicability. So basically what he's saying is that farming methods improved, these hillsides were difficult to farm, you couldn't farm them with a tractor um, and also the Alamans focus uh, had moved towards tourism and everyone was moving to the towns for an easier life and you jump on the train and go fishing would be much easier for you than, than you know trying to, to plough the thin soil and working in the, the sort of conditions uh, away from everybody. So I think essentially there was a depression in, in agriculture in the 1930s and people's emphasis changed and yeah they locked up and off they went. How did writing this and putting all this together change how you felt when you walked out there again? Oh gosh that's a good question. Um, in the little booklet there's a picture of my kids in it and they were quite small they're all grown up now. Um, and left, uh, my daughter's left the island and, and it sort of reminds me how long I've been walking up there. I like to look at the, the ruins as they, they're falling down um, in the upper buildings at least. They're, they're getting more and more tumble down and it always makes me reflect that in a hundred years time there'll be nothing maybe to see, there'll be just a pile of stones. Um, less so with the, um, the one in the south that's been capped which Howard, again, will see when he goes up there. Yep. But, um, yeah, it just makes you realise nature takes back the land um, and human beings, we're only custodians of it, really. It's not really ours. It, it belongs to nature and not to us. Yeah, and I think it's incredible. We've done this before going around as well. How quickly that actually happens, because sometimes you see these buildings and you think, oh, that'd be, you know, 100 years since anyone's been there mm. and if you do look into it or ask someone who knows and they say oh no that was still occupied in 1958 or something once something's abandoned we've said this before it's amazing how quickly nature claims it back again 
Yeah, that's very, very true. And that's what I think about the most when I when I go up there, as well as the ravens up there are fantastic. They're so loud if you ever come across them. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful walk, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how you get on when you go. Well, can't wait. I know, I can't wait either. It's really exciting. And again, I think just talking to Sarah there, that really highlights, again, something which comes across. You go to these places and you go on a lovely day, which you normally do if you're walking. You tend not to try. Try not to walk when it's lamping it down with rain and blowing a hooli. But you go there and you do think... On the one hand, you can romanticise the whole thing, can't you? And it looks lovely. And you think, wow, imagine living out here and it's so beautiful. And then, as we've just been there talking about, the people, when they were living there, were sort of on the, on the edge of existence to a degree, I think, weren't you? They, they were really eking out a living, I think. I think it was a real hard old life, hand to mouth, to say the least. Certainly would be in the depths of winter. Um, just finally, is this booklet still available? There's only a very few copies left, actually. Um, you can probably buy it. Somebody delightedly told me they'd, they'd managed, they'd bought one in a charity shop for 50p not so long ago. <laughs> there, is a, there is a copy, of course, in the um, Manx Museum Library if anyone wants to read it. And there's, there's a couple left. Um, if anybody who's a member of Blaf Heritage Trust might be able to help with that. Wonderful. Right, you up for a walk then? Yeah, get Sarah to sign it. Could be a collector's copy. <laughs> you never know. You, you never, never know. It's a, it's a great little book, but these things, without a doubt, labours of love. They really are. Well, we are all being well. Touch wood, everything being equal, going on that walk this weekend. So we will report back next week. But is it time to meet the little folk yet? Speaking of walks, you might be right. Look, look at, at this, this bridge. <laughs> and again, <laughs> you see, I hadn't uh, seen this before. I'm never quite too certain what this is all about. And I never, something I never did as a child or when we were younger, this idea of leaving presents and gifts for the little people, which is prevalent down at the, the better-known ferry bridge down heading towards the airport, isn't it, down at Santon Way, where people put messages on trees and you see gifts and little, I assume they're gifts for the little folks, almost gifts to the gods, and we've got the same sort of thing here again. A really motley collection, I would say. Interesting, but motley, as in it varies from... Um, old teddy bears and gonks and um, yeah various teddies oh there's a pelican there as well uh, well known uh, the fairies for their love of pelicans uh, and also apparently for beer and <laughs> <laughs> further up there is uh, a few sort of mobiles a few sort of hanging bits and pieces and uh, a couple of bottles of beer look at that there's the dummy tree so when your little one is at the age where they need to give up their pacifier, this is where you bring it and presumably the little people make it into either new dummies for new babies or maybe something else for their house, I don't know. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? I don't know if we'd encourage that or not. It's, um, I mean, I suppose if it's kept in a small area, it's relatively harmless. You'd struggle to call it beautiful, the, the collection, because they've already got wet and dried and wet again, so everything's looking slightly the worse for wear. You can't help but think that this sort of idea... The, the sort of stone idea might be the better one, mightn't it? Because there's a couple here, like those little... Uh, what were the ones that we, we people hid the little creatures on yeah, stones for paintings? Yeah, I mean, that's rocks. quite a great idea, because stones or messages, they're just, you know, you pick up a stone from wherever it might be, and you can just write a little bit on it and put it back down again, and you think, really, you can have your little say or whatever, and you're not actually causing a sort of mess in the environment. Whereas, depending on your viewpoint, some people might say this is really quaint and lovely, and other people might say it looks like a, a bit like a sort of a... You know, the um, Eastern Civic Community site in miniature. I think it says a lot, though, about what this place means to people and the fact that they want to leave a mark here. And I think the really poignant ones 
are the stones that are in memory of people or the ornaments that are in memory of people because that's then somewhere special for people to come and reflect and remember and I kind of get that I really do I mean yeah it is it is strange in the 21st century isn't it that people still have this urge to go to little spots like this which is lovely and somehow or other as you say clearly there is some sort of spiritual whatever you want to call it link whereby they feel they want to remember it's not just a case of hello fairies I'm just looking around and I'm not seeing any sort of can I have a you know can I have a something for Christmas type things the stone I've got here is happy birthday Nana clearly uh, someone's Nana who clearly is no longer love and miss you every day so clearly a much loved Nana who's not around anymore I'm just trying to see if there's any other little messages I'll put that one back there's one down here okay so there's a loved one Griff and Adele if you're listening it's nicely carved stone and that's quite a nice one too and then here's another one brother I see this is almost like uh, you might see it a cemetery or lawn cemetery mm. isn't it a little sort of open book brother of all the precious gifts in life however great or small to have you as a brother was the greatest gift of all clearly another you know a much loved sibling and people feel they want to yeah. you know, leave a message here but then the other ones like I said underneath we've got the on the other hand we've got this row and this, which is all, virtually all children's toys so presumably that's the other end of life and this is either when they've had you know a young child or a baby or come down with a young one well we don't know what these things mean to people and I think the great thing about this spot is that it can mean anything to anyone right now see this one is to the fairies oh, hello fairies no. I brought my dummy today to leave and give my bunny to one of the baby fairies. Oh, that's adorable. Do baby, do, are there baby fairies? Yes, of course oh, right, there are okay. baby fairies. I don't know whether they came out fully formed. I hope the baby fairies love their new dummy from me. It would be lovely if you could give me a little message to let me know the dummy is safe and, uh, okay. and okay for the baby fairies. All my love, Libby. How gorgeous is that? That wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. Oh, well, I hope you got your message, Libby. But here we are, standing by this bridge, and even if you don't come and look at the artefacts that have been left here, you really have to look at this bridge and admire the way it's been constructed. Did you hear that towards the end of our little chat by the fairy bridge there? It was strange. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. Either it was electronic interference or some sort of problem with the lead or the microphone or the Lucy system, or... It was the little people. It was the little people, perhaps saying, thank you, time to go. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite amazed by that. It's the first time I've heard that. But actually, we had to take off some of the, the interview towards the end there because it was so distorted. It so was. They totally, totally lost it. There was it, something yeah. going on there, something happening. Um, it's time to have a delve in our archive. And H, I've decided we're going to stick with the fairy theme. Now, this is something and it's read by Dorothy Leese. Have a listen. How the Manx Cat Lost Her Tail. When Noah was calling the animals into the ark, there was one cat who was out mousing and took no notice when he was calling to her. She was a good mouser, but this time she had trouble to find a mouse and she took a notion that she wouldn't go into the ark without one. So at last, when Noah had all the animals safe inside, and he saw the rain beginning to fall and no sign of her coming in, he said, 
whose out is out and whose in is in. And with that, he was just closing the door when the cat came running up, half drowned. That's why cats hate the water and just squeezed in in time. But Noah had slammed the door as she ran in and it cut off her tail. So she got in without it. And that is why Manx cats have no tails to this day. That cat said, Bebo bended, my tails ended, and I'll go to man and get copper nails and mend it. Beautifully read there, and a lovely fairy story to end what has been a show about the little folk. It has. I don't know though. Not just me. Not just you. There might be interfering (laughs) with the microphone. We'll be back, same time, same place, next week. Look after yourselves. Bye.